it was so strengthening and so it was like with every breath, honestly. I mean, it was such a traumatizing history to walk through for everyone. And within the walk, you can only imagine, there was more than a little turmoil, all kinds of breakdowns and divisions. I mean, it was a history of severing, right? To walk this history is to be in those waters, literally, of those energies. So the Odaimaku is is the compassion of the Buddha. This is our belief, our faith. And that it's just without thought on that, just praying, like literally with every breath gives strength, gives rebirth with each breath. Sister Claire Carter was raised Catholic in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, but in 1977, she encountered the Nipponzan Myohoji Buddhist Order at a peace vigil in front of Faneuil Hall in Boston, and four years later, ordained as a nun, assuming her order's vows of healing the world of materialism and violence through the spiritual practices of chanting, prayer, constructing peace pagodas, and pilgrimages. She has participated in multiple peace walks, both locally and internationally, in an effort to witness to suffering and inspire transformation. Sister Claire was the co-founder of the Interfaith Pilgrimage of the Middle Passage, a year-long spiritual journey tracing the history and impact of slavery starting in Massachusetts, walking down the eastern seaboard to New Orleans, through the Caribbean, to the slave dungeons of West Africa, culminating ultimately in South Africa. You are listening to Sit Breathe Bow, a podcast for practitioners. Each week, leading Buddhist teachers share life experiences and insights to help guide your meditation practice as well as your life off of the cushion. I am your host, Ian White Marr. This podcast is sponsored by the Quanum Online Sangha, a virtual Zen community of the International Quantum School of Zen. Members of the Online Sangha meditate together study with teachers, and participate in workshops and courses to develop their practice. To find out more, visit quantumzen.org online. Listeners of Sit, Breathe, Bow are eligible for a free month of training using the promo code SITBREATHEBOW, all one word. Sister Claire, it has been about 20 years since I've seen you. The last time we spoke, I was interviewing you for a magazine I was publishing then, and you were just back from the Interfaith Pilgrimage of the Middle Passage. So much has happened since then. Mm. Yes. You continue to walk and chant for peace, bring people to awakening through uh, pilgrimage and witness. Um, now, you belong to an order, Nimponzan Myohoji, which is in the Nichiren tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, but my understanding is that it was founded uh, shortly after World War II. Is that correct? Actually, it was founded in 1917 or 18. The founder was Most Venerable Nichi Datsu Fuji. He was born in 1885, really on the cusp of the Meiji, so-called Meiji Restoration in Japan. 
a complex time which led to tremendous suffering in Japan because it was attempting to really copy what they saw in the West, the Western imperial nations. They saw Western Europe, particularly England. They saw certainly the United States in these spheres of influence, you know, dominating. And, you know, there was a sense in Japan, oh, well, let's play that role in Asia. So they had to shift out of the Edo period and build up the military and suppress religion. So he was born just at the beginning of that, interestingly. He was born in a very rural little farming area. He ordained in the traditional school and learned these teachings, but had a feeling that he had to learn as broadly as possible. Eventually was invited to meet Mahatma Gandhi. He had been just walking with very little support, just walking and praying all around India. He met Gandhi and uh, just wept. There was very few words. He could feel the great soul, the, the, the true Mahatma that Gandhi was. Anyway, Gandhi eventually invited him to stay at the ashram and to share this prayer. Every morning, Gandhi picked up this prayer, actually, uh, to open the ashram prayers. Very deep connection. Our Fujiguruji supported the movement of the people uh, with Gandhiji to become self-governing and to end the colonial regime. But all the while, he also was appealing in Japan for cessation of the war. Uh, he saw Hiroshima Nagasaki <clears throat> shortly after the uh, nuclear holocaust of those two populations. And he, he just saw the wreckage of World War II from all sides. And he took time deeply to contemplate where to go after World War II. He felt that the whole of the civilization would become more materialistic. There would be more wars over, you know, material and political power. And, um, and that the nature of weapons were already had reached an unthinkable place and would continue to develop in horrendous ways. He saw all of this, and he teamed up, if you will, or joined with the global peace movement, the post-war global peace, and told the monks and nuns, you know, walk, just walk for peace. Yeah, and I think that's why I sort of thought of him founding the order after World War II, I, I associate Nipponzo Myohoji so closely with the abolition of yeah. nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons and, um, and war. Yeah. And war. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's just such a big part of the oh, consciousness of the, no question. of the order. No question. Which really, in a lot of ways, for me, makes it quite a, an interesting and unique order mm. because... You'll hear a lot of order, you know, talk about engaged Buddhism, and but Nipponzo Myohoji is so focused, oh, yes. so right. focused on this yes. sort of outwardly activist in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> unapologetically. <laughs> unapologetically activist. And so now I think of you in, in sort of bringing this to the world in four ways. You, you chant the Daimoku and you drum. Maybe you can give... The listeners a little bit about what they would hear if yeah. you were walking. No. 
And that you do that on these massively long pilgrimages. Mm, that, that's right. <laughs> that go on for weeks, months, years, yeah. even. Yeah. And so when we first met, mm. you had just come back from this pilgrimage, interfaith pilgrimage for the Middle Passage, mm. which was an idea that came to you when you were in Sri Lanka, mm. I think. Interestingly enough, yes. You were walking across Sri Lanka for peace mm. as they were recovering from their civil war and you were like what about my country or how did yeah. that come about yeah it was in 1993 and it was actually a pilgrimage a combined pilgrimage sri lanka and south india Tamil Nadu, because um the oppositional groups you know the sinhalese the tamils um without getting into it old divisions can very easily be um, rekindled and, uh, uh, you know, the, the history of, of unhealed, <laughs> unhealed injury uh, in so many ways can breed fear. And um, in Sri Lanka, it was a very, um, very painful, sad war. It didn't end in 93. It began roughly in 83, it did not end in 93, but it was an effort to bring the religious and ethnic groups together and national, you know, across nation, Sri Lanka, South India. And I could talk about that for a long time, but I won't. But the first day of the pilgrimage was walking down the sacred mountain of Sripada, and which, which is the major rivers of Sri Lanka all flow from this mountain. It's also, there's a footprint at the top of this mountain that is worshipped by Buddhists, by Hindus, by Christians, and by Muslims in their own way. Christians and Muslims believe it's Adam's footprint from leaving Eden. Um, the Hindus, it's a, I'm sorry, I don't know the name of a god, but it's a god's footprint. And Buddhists believe it's Buddha's footprint, that he transcendentally came there during his lifetime. So anyway... The beautiful part is no one argues when they're in the top of this hill. Everyone worships. It's quite, quite profound. We were walking down this mountain on the first day of the pilgrimage. And that's when, I mean, I had been struggling in my spirit for a long time around racism, uh, having grown up in Boston. But really, I think wherever you grow up in the United States, you're going to find um Anyway, I'd been struggling for years. So, and as I walked down that sacred mountain, I thought, this is a wonderful pilgrimage to be on. I'm going to learn. Hopefully, I can give something. But I also, it is time to do something in the United States for the war. It's really a war. You know, it doesn't manifest the way it does in Sri Lanka, but it is a war. Um, and people die from the war. Uh, the racism in the United States. And it is so, this is how it felt. This would be 25 years ago. So unhealed and so unacknowledged. It is different now. There is more awareness now. But 25 years ago, it was still largely under the radar, largely, oh, get over it, or that kind of thing. And, uh, but there was, yeah. So anyway, that's... So I called, I actually wrote to my friend, 
African-American in Amherst. I said, when we get back, let's talk. And uh, she said, okay. And we talked and off we went. Yeah. Ingrid Askew. Yeah. I, you know, I remember at that time we were, people were still coming to the idea of the the word whiteness, which now feels like oh, it's everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. It was really new. You were on yeah. a real uh, cutting edge, honestly. Yeah, we were. We were it was fun Back to then. kind of make <laughs> these resources that were being developed then. It was really. That's right. That's right. Wild. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Owen, oh, uh, very inspiring. So tell us, if you can, uh, a little bit about the interfaith pilgrimage of the Middle Passage. When you came back from Sri Lanka, you met with your friend Ingrid Askew, and that took you where? We, you know, since I'd been doing walks, that's that's the way, you know, that's I can envision. And having felt not just in Sri Lanka but in other cases, the the profound spiritual, shall we say, efficacy, or the some very very sublime fruit very powerful fruit, spiritual fruit that that can come from from this practice of prayer and um, and walking and um, healing and opening up and so much anyway, but of course Ingrid had never done that so but I said, you know, shall we make a go of this? And she said the one thing clear is and my idea was we would start in Africa and walk back to New England. And she says, you know, that's not going to inspire any African-Americans because we're going to end up just where we are now, and we don't want to end up where we are now. We have to go to a new place. And she said, we have to reverse the historical direction, at least energetically trying to uh, untie it, you know, all the bondage of this to, um, to, to, to reverse it, to undo it, at least... Uh, symbolically, or and she said, "Yeah." And the motherland, you know, she said, as a African descent person, there is, you know, the the sundering from this great motherland, it, it, and all the suffering that came from that, you know, we have to heal this. We have to heal and connect again with Africa. It is the mother continent, especially, you know, certainly for African descent people and. I think for all of us in a lot of ways, but anyway, specifically and in most significantly for African descent people. So, um, so that's so she and she gave it the name Middle Passage, interfaith pilgrimage of the Middle Passage. She said, "Do you have any idea how many people were lost, completely lost in the Middle Passage?" She said, "People were lost from the first you know, grabbing of people from the village life in these forced marches to these dungeons and then in the dungeons and then crossing the Atlantic and then at every stage of life. But that particularly that Atlantic crossing, um, millions, you know, uh, I never fully researched it, but uh, many historians say millions and millions. And when you think of it, you know, what can you say? That's, that's the, and those who did not die suffered 
a kind of indignity and a kind of psychic trauma that is, again, we can't even begin to grasp the depth of it. You know, treated much worse than animals, much, much worse than animals. And, uh, and people were deliberately, um, in the Middle Passage, they were deliberately, and in the dungeons too, they were deliberately um, chained to people from different ethnic groups that didn't have the same language, so you couldn't bond. It's incredible. And even different religions, you know, there were a number of Muslims who were, um, you know, brought over. And uh, anyway, it's, 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 it's an incomprehensibly dramatic story, to put it mildly. So that's why she called it, because the, it, the middle passage is just skimmed over, you know. In this country, we learn, oh, well, slavery wasn't so good after all. <laughs> oh, you know, picking cotton and the slave masses. Well, that's about as deep as that, which would be, you know, horrible enough. But the story is far, far, far more uh, traumatic than that. So anyway, she named it, and she also gave it the direction. Hmm. And all I offered was the idea of walking and praying, and there it went. So you left Western Mass, and you walked down the eastern seaboard and I, I read somewhere that you stopped at over 200 towns on this journey. And you're, you're chanting the Daimoku. Mm-hmm. Every step. Every step of the way. And what is that like sort of as a practitioner? You know, so part of this podcast really is about the practice of it. So what yes. happens to you yes. as a practitioner as you're experiencing this history and legacy and also as the Lotus Sutra is sort of washing over you. It was so strengthening and so, it was like with every breath, honestly. I mean, it was such a traumatizing history to walk through for everyone. And within the walk, you can only imagine, there was more than a little turmoil, (laughs) to put it mildly. And... um, all kinds of breakdowns and divisions. I mean, it was a history of severing, right? And a history of breakdown of, of, you know, and yet African descent people have survived and they've prevailed. It's an enormous, enormous spiritual victory in a lot of ways, but at an incredible cost. But what I'm saying is to walk this history is to be in those waters, literally, of those energies. So the Odaimaku is is the compassion of the Buddha. This is our belief, our faith. And that it's just without thought on that, just praying, like literally with every breath gives strength, gives rebirth with each breath. And it's a kind, I could feel a great light always, no matter what was going on, for some reason, um, I never worried about things too much. I, I mean, except the idea of too much dissolution, too much breakdown. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we did manage to, uh, to all stay together, but um, pretty much. Hmm. But um, it was, you know, people who didn't, 
have any previous connection, which was by far most of the people who had no particular connection to this prayer at all, which would be 95% of the walkers, um, you know, felt that this prayer in the presence of the monks was the peace that kept it all going. And um, when we had our morning, we had morning prayers every morning. And eventually, you know, we had to feel our way through all of us collectively because it was a whole new thing. But the morning prayers, this is before we start walking, before we have breakfast. It, we made a little altar and we would chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo 10 minutes and then 10 minutes for everybody's 10 or 15 for people's poems or prayers or whatever they wanted to offer and then finish within a half an hour. But um, people started to offer incredible things from all different traditions or their own poetry or their own. And it started to really open up, you know. And um, <clears throat> by the time we got to Africa, one of the walkers started to daily pour libations in the African tradition, opening up. And it was so moving in it in you know, really honoring the African descent ancestors and everyone's ancestors, particularly African. Um, every morning, there were many times we felt the presence of many spirits with us. Many people did. Some people saw spirits and uh, some people felt spirits. Um, but the Odaimaku was, you know, just on such a transcendent but such an intimate level, too, in the depths of our hearts. And uh, it just embraced the entire pilgrimage. We had plenty of other prayer. We stayed in a lot of Christian churches. We had a lot of Christian prayer. We had African prayer. We had Baha'i. We had Jewish prayer. We had Native American prayer. We had lots of prayers. It's all good. You know, it was all together. But the Odaimoku just held it all in the kind of limitless power and compassion of Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. I think one reason I've always really um, admired your work and admired the work of Nipponzo Myohoji is I, I, re, I truly believe that the, the cries of the earth, the people of the earth, um, it's due to a spiritual misalignment. Mm. And so the healing of that is is a spiritual solution right it's no, not a thinking absolutely not a thinking solution it's a spiritual solution absolutely so when we think about how are we going to deal with the environment how we're going to deal with war you know it's always how do we return to the spirit not inwardly necessarily for our own mm -hmm. enlightenment or i mean that's a wonderful mm -hmm. <laughs> byproduct mm -hmm. but truly uh, you know, the Bodhisattva Valley, I take that very seriously. Mm. You know, how are we going to heal? So you've been busy since then. Mm. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on on that pilgrimage, but that was 20 years ago. You had the the uh, anniversary this last year, 2018. But you have not stopped. <laughs> you've, got, you've done many things. I, I do want to make sure we talk about this thing that is coming up, mm. uh, which in the spring, the dates are still coming forward, but people can email you and find out about it. And it's called Listening to the Call of the Great Spirit, 
facing 400 years of colonization since the Mayflower. And that's a two-month pilgrimage that you're doing starting on the Cape or ending in the Cape, Cape Cod? Yeah, um, most likely ending. Ending, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, between a month and a half and two months. Um, Who knows how long? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just walk. But very soon we yeah. are going to, uh, we have to set the time soon because yeah. it's, this was suggested to us by someone else that the year 2020 is the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower and that there would be, he said, get ready, there's going to be all this energy around, you know, all of it on very official levels and um, it needs something spiritual. It needs, it needs the real deep reality brought up and some kind of guidance to work with it in a, in a very true and pure way. Um, so, you know, we started to do a series of five years, but we started a very small in 2016, 2016. I think we only walked a week. And then 2017, you know, maybe a week and a half or two or something. And then 2018. But um, also... All of these were in the autumn. But this year, 2019 and 2020, we realize um, it's literally, we do feel there is a call from the great spirit. It, you know, of course, that's the indigenous language. Namu myoho rengekyo. But there, there is a feeling of being guided and called to do this. That, you know, we have to be very receptive and sensitive. And it isn't, you have to lead with, um, you know, your rational mind, but even more so with the spiritual consciousness and in a very receptive way and be sure to open to the intuitions and guidance that, is, that it is coming. Because <clears throat> we ourselves have learned, we started out, at least I will speak for myself, I started out, not understanding the depth of the meaning of all of this, you know, in a very kind of generalized way. But my goodness, it is a call um, to, to open up to the, the really the Holocaust of indigenous peoples starting in New England. It is, there is sort of a grief underlying uh, the region of New England, I, I would say a grief and a pain that isn't acknowledged. And um, I think there is a great possibility for transformation and healing, but without, without making very sincere efforts to, to really learn you know, it's it is so much more violent, and so much more, um, you know, f full of hatred and fear, and uh, you know, a kind of grim violence against the native people who honestly did. I mean, the simplistic story we learn of Thanksgiving is, of course, not exactly accurate, but what is true 
is that the Massasoit, the great sachem, Usamiquin, in 1620 and in 1621, did extend the hand of, I would call it, mutual aid and relationship. And he believed it was possible to build uh, a cult, you know, a mutually respectful culture that would bring prosperity for all. It was, you know, and that was his vision and his belief. You mean with the colonists? With the colonizing, yeah. And, um, you know, that, that wasn't really, for the most part, comprehended on the colonizing side. And also the colonizing side increased very rapidly. Between 1620 and 1630, a thousand people were living in Boston, isn't you know what became the Boston area? I mean, it's a lot for those days. So there was a huge intention. I could go on in a lot of the stories, but I, I won't. I'll, I'll just try to keep it relatively simple. But it's like there's a hidden landscape in New England under the surface that still holds, you know, enormous pain. A native, a number of years ago, a native friend said. Do you know? Do you have any idea that here in New England, we have to be so careful of talking to white people that we have to measure literally how much we can let out of anything negative? You know, everything has to be, uh, you know, modulated in this acceptable way. You know, uh, and. When I still, first of all, that made quite an impression on me. And then I realized this is a radically unacknowledged and hidden history. And it is really about, you know, the indigenous peoples and nations, gratefully, uh, the descendants of whom still live, but honestly carry so much generation of trauma that it's. Um, you know, we, we more know a little bit about, you know, Wounded Knee and our, our, our Big Mountain or the Apache or, you know, the uh, Chief Seattle. and a lot. We know like little smidgens of things, but in our own area, we know nothing, just about nothing. And the story, like this year, we plan, among other things, to walk, we hope, we hope, Coastally, we haven't committed to this yet, but we feel a need to walk from uh, way up in Maine down to um, Cape Cod. The two years before the Mayflower came, a terrible plague wiped out between 90 and 100% of the populations, the coastal populations, um, with a plague that was so horrific uh, and took out the medicine men and women. So all their traditional medicine was attacked, literally. And the kind of death was so excruciating and so quick, they couldn't bury the dead. I mean, the Mayflower came to a village, a native village, where the bodies of the native people were still unburied. And there's, you know, traditionally a lot of ritual that needs to happen. You know, this kind of presaged the whole, you know, who ever heard about that history? We don't learn. And I think a lot of Native people 
may feel there was some intentionality with this. And of course, there's a lot of defensiveness thinking, oh no, whatever, I'm not going to get into all that. But wherever this plague came from, and then and then it would reappear as colonization <clears throat> moved um, a little bit westward in New England. So anyway, um, out of the Mass Bay Colony, there's a lot, there's a lot more to the story. But um, that's only one aspect of it. But there is such a need. After walking the Middle Passage pilgrimage and then realizing what we have uh, here in New England, and now as we are in this incredible crisis, I'm talking about the present moment, of sort of all of the kind of chickens coming home to roost and we're on overwhelm, you know, what to do and so on. Certainly, the seeds, the karmic seeds, were sown, you know, with the colonization, the the um, the mind of a very kind of utilitarian mind of to dominate the natural world, willingness to see the indigenous people as in the way, or you know, terrible enemies, or God doesn't love them, or you know, all kinds of versions of this way of thinking, and the ripping apart of families and tribes, and we see what we're doing on the southern border and uh, elsewhere, and the, you know, the, the, the violent conquest, which has been repeated in so many ways in the last 400 years. So we see the need to go back to sow different seed, to acknowledge to, I don't know, what is the word? Repent, atone, I'm not sure the right language, but we need to, in a very sincere and profound way, we have to, you know, atone this towards our indigenous brothers and sisters, something that's very true. We must start some process before 2020 because that's going to be quite a deal going on and we at least need something else moving through people's consciousness Um, not in opposition uh, you know not you know but something that is flowing taking the hearts and minds of people in a different with a different uh, understanding Thank you for listening to this episode of Sit, Breathe, Bow. I hope you found the conversation with Sister Claire Carter encouraging and helpful for your practice. You can find out more about her practice and offerings at the New England Peace Pagoda by visiting newenglandpeacepagoda.com. If you would like to get involved, they are initiating a walk spring 2019 called Listening to the Call of the Great Spirit facing 400 years of colonization since the Mayflower landed. For more information, please email newenglandpeacepagoda at gmail.com. A special thanks to our sponsor, the Quanam Online Sangha. Listeners of this podcast are eligible for a free month of membership, which includes individual Kungan interviews with Zen teachers, discounts on webinars and online classes, and access to a private community where students can discuss their practice and receive guidance. To access your free month of membership, simply visit 
quantumzen.org slash online and use the promo code SITBREATHEVOW, all one word. And please consider subscribing and leaving a review of the podcast would really help the show. I am your host, Ian Whitemar, and I hope you'll join me again next week. Thank you.